1: Welcome to the mini break. Your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Wednesday, June 10th. Before we get to another edition of Technique Tuesday on a Wednesday with our friends from My Tennis HQ, as well as read through all the news going on throughout the professional tennis world, I just wanted to remind you listeners that these podcasts are made possible day in, day out due to the support we get here at Crack Rackets from our friends at Midwest Sports. And you have heard it. Before, folks, but it rings true each and every time we say it. For more than 20 years, Midwest Sports has served as one of the world's premier tennis equipment suppliers, and that's because they offer a comprehensive selection of fast shipping tennis supplies that few retailers can match. They also have one of the largest in stock inventories of tennis equipment online, with tens of thousands of products available for shipping from their automated warehouse directly to your front door. They value innovation and have personally tailored their products to high highlight your skills on the court, whatever they may be, and maybe you don't know what features, what equipment would best help accentuate, I should say, the features of your game. Well, the good news is their well-trained staff are intimately familiar with all tennis equipment and can help you find that perfect racket, perfect tennis shoe, or perfect tennis clothing that is sure to put you ahead of the competition. Their selections of equipment are consistently first to market, and they pride themselves in stocking their tennis warehouse with the newest products at the lowest prices. And if you want to hear more about the newest products being offered at Midwest Sports, I highly recommend you go check out the Great Shot podcast episode I did with Midwest Sports buyer and product manager Dave Limke, where we break down some of the newest sticks, the newest frames being offered. Of course, that is the pejorative uh, for me saying the newest tennis rackets being offered at Midwest Sports, whether it be the story of how it's actually called Yonix, not Yonix and what frames they're offering, the frames being offered by Babolat, so many more uh, we cover in that podcast. We also, again, talk about why it is important for tennis players, even if you're not breaking your streams, e- uh, strings, even if your racket frame, you've used the same racket for the past 10 years, you think it's holding up just fine. Uh, there are reasons they're not, folks, and Dave explains why it is essential that if you want to get the best out of your game, that you continue to update your equipment appropriately. And so that's a great conversation. And of course, again, you can find all of the products being offered by Midwest Sports on their website, midwestsports.com you use our promo code CR15 not only will you get 15% off of your order but you will get free 2-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75 as well as a free can of Wilson Extra Duty tennis balls thrown in there as well midwest sports wants to ensure that you have everything you need for when you make your return to the tennis court so go to midwestsports.com use that promo code CR15 let them know that we sent you there and you know we are so appreciative of the support they give us Day in, day out. The least we can do is ask that you support them as well. So one more time, go to MidwestSports.com, use that promo code CR15. All right, with that being said, I want to get to a little bit of news uh, before we get to today's uh, edition of Technique Tuesday with Austin Rapp of My Tennis HQ, because there are a couple things that have emerged during uh, from the tennis world over the past couple of days. And look, with all that's going around around the globe right now, all that's going on in this country the United States of America in particular. Yeah, Tennis News took a backseat for the past two weeks, uh, and again, for justifiable reasons. Uh, but we are continuing to learn more details about when professional tennis will be making its return. We're also starting to learn more and more about the financial implications of this coronavirus global pandemic and how it's affecting each individual entity from uh, throughout the tennis world. And that's where I want to start today because obviously all of our hearts throughout the tennis community, particularly those of us. Who play tennis in the United States, uh, go out to all of those at the USTA whose jobs were affected by this global pandemic. Over a hundred people uh, being laid off by the organization due to again the financial ramifications, uh, the fact that the revenue for this year and the revenue maybe even moving forward is just not going to be at the place that the USTA expected. And so, yes, while the USTA has reserves in mind and you know they've offered I believe it's fifty million up upwards of fifty million in in reliefs in grants available to struggling local clubs and to, of course, uh, professional players and uh, coaches out there as well. But uh, it's just part of the financial realities. And look, the in part one of their relief package, the USA had already committed. To cutting the salaries of employees in management positions, to you know cutting back on things such as player development or marketing, and you know all non-capital expenditures, they were going to cut back on this year already as well. But this is just the financial reality, and we've seen it affect every tennis organization. Of course, Tennis Canada also announced a large amount of layoffs. I think it was something like thirty to forty percent of their staff uh, a couple of weeks ago as well, and it's devastating. And you know, on a personal Level, I know some of the people who have been laid off at USTA, and I know he came out and said it on Twitter, so I don't mind sharing his name. You know, Ash Marshall, who's been a staple of the USTA's coverage of every event for really the past five, ten years. I mean, he was at our USTA Tennis on Campus Club Tennis Nationals each and every year taking photos of us. And, you know, that's such a fond memory for me, those moments and the pictures I have from that, uh, you know, from that occasion. Obviously, you know, for us, we won a national title and some of the photos he managed to capture, there's one of me holding the trophy above my arms and just looking at it as though I will never anything in my life more than I do in that moment love that trophy and that's a photo I will cherish for the rest of my life and that's a photo uh, you know, that's the sort of moment uh, that he captured for so many people not just me uh, throughout his career and so you know his loss we're all going to feel that and of course Ash if you hear this please know again if there's anything we can do for you here at Crack Rackets, anything we can do for any of you USTA employees you need people to talk to um, or just whatever it may be please just let us know because our heart I uh, Obviously, goes out to all of those people. But you know, if you want to learn more about the USTA and their, you know, uh, the elimination of these over a hundred jobs and the reorganizing being done uh, structurally to that organization, go check out Stephanie Miles' piece for Open Court. Again, you can follow her on Twitter. You can find it at OpenCourt.ca. Uh, she talks about uh, all of the ramifications. She talks about how many national coaches were let go and some of the significant ones. You know, a guy like Nicholas Tedera, who has worked with so many exceptional players over the years. Uh, it sounds like he's being let go as well. And players, uh, people such as Ryler DeHart, a recent, uh, hell, uh, a recent I should say, hire. People like Eric Nunez, Roger Anderson, Stephen Huss. These are all coaches. Chris Tantz. Uh, these are all coaches we know well. And again, these are just some of the names we have started to hear come out. But certainly, uh, you know, there will be others as well that will be surprising. And, uh, you know, it it sounds like the USTA is seriously reconsidering what they are going to do. And, of course, they just built their national campus. But it sounds like, uh, you know, given the financial realities in terms of being the central hub for tennis, that's not what they're going to be able to do. Now, certainly, they can be a central operation. And what Stephanie, I believe, how she describes it is they're changing their organizational philosophy moving forward, that they used to be a program-based organization. They're pivoting to a service-based organization and you know it'll be fascinating and of course they're doing that they claim out of uh, the you know given the now abundance of technology structures and services available that they can offer Um, but that's certainly a pivot in development and it's so interesting because you know the first player development class people such as Tommy Paul and Riley Opelka and Taylor Fritz and Francis Tiafo and others who trained full-time in the USTA system, uh, they're starting to have some success on the Pro Tour. And, you know, look at the plethora of young women uh, who have had success already that are young Americans on the Pro Tour. Clearly, what the USTA has been doing over the past 10 years, I'll say, has started uh, to bear some fruit. And, of course, you know, the financial reality of The current day makes that impossible. And so, again, I think Stephanie really knocks it out of the park with her synopsis of the financial ramifications and how the USTA has to uh, adjust moving forward. And so, I highly recommend that uh, article for all of you listeners who want to learn more about the subject because, again, it is shocking news. And, you know, the USTA is probably the biggest tennis federation of all the federations out there, certainly by size, by necessity. And that's not going to surprise anyone. But, uh, you know it's shocking again no uh tennis federation is immune from these impact from the impacts of this coronavirus pandemic, and we are certainly again feeling that today at the u s t a um, but you know if if there's i suppose a silver lining and there are no silver linings out of this, but if we you know if you want to take a shred of positive out of this at all uh there was some news in the last twenty four hours Stacy Allister has been named the u s open tournament director. <laughs> Replacing David Brewer. Apologies for that hiccup. According to Nick McCarville, he says if he's not wrong, this makes Stacy the first female tournament director of a major in tennis, and you know that is a tough assignment to face. Of course, as Nick mentions, the U.S. Open post-pandemic, especially right now, uh, given the rush to certainly try and play that event as well as the French Open. Uh, but it's a well-deserved promotion, and again, it modernization in tennis, slowly but surely, we finally have a female tournament director to tackle this sort of challenge, and you know, congratulations. Congratulations to Stacey Allister, certainly deserves to be in that role. And again, no silver linings in this, but uh, congr- you know, it, it, congratulations is the wrong term, but certainly well past due uh, that a female be named a tournament director. And it's a credit again to Stacey Allister, who's been so good behind the scenes for so long uh, that she has been named the new U.S. Open tournament director. And speaking of the U.S. Open, uh, we learned today there is, a, you know, a tentative calendar for the WTA's return to live action, leaked out today via Tara Moore. And it's interesting, folks. Now, right now on the schedule, and again, this is very tentative. I want to point that out. But as of right now, if the schedule were to start as planned in the beginning of August, the tentative look right now would be Charleston and Palermo on the WTA side beginning of August, then Washington and Prague August 10th, Cincinnati the 17th, a week off, and then the U.S. Open through those first two weeks of September. Then Madrid-Istanbul the next week immediately after. By the way, no chaser, folks. Uh, Rome-Strasbourg and Roland-Garros right after that in third week of September. And then we get into Roland-Garros. And, folks, what a month that would be. What an eight-week stretch. And there's no break in the calendar because it's clear if they're going to try and come back, they're going to try and play as many events as humanly possible. And are there potential side effects such as injury concerns and wear down? And do I expect players, the best players, to be playing all these events? Of course not. There are still so many things that need to be worked out. But, you know, from the looks of the schedule, Roland Garros will go on. That same week, they'll play Seoul and Tianjin. After that, Beijing... Then Wuhan and Nanchang, Zhengzhou and Linz, Moscow and Tokyo, first week of November, WTA finals November 9th, the Elite Trophy November 16th. Of course, there are some um, events on the calendar as well Uh, at the 125K, 60K, 80K level, a bunch of American events, a bunch of Chinese events, a bunch of Portugal, Australia, France as well. I see Templeton, Las Vegas, New York, Landisville, Lexington, uh, Macon, Georgia, Tyler, uh, all American locations in Malibu as well, and then I see some 25Ks as well. So, folks, um, it's starting to happen, and I don't know if we're ready. Certainly, uh, there will need to be further guidelines regarding testing and regarding what would should happen if a player tests positives, what sort of uh, guarantees for the players, for the organizations, what sort of fans are we going to see fans, if at all. Lots of things need to be made clear still, but calendars are being put together, and that's exciting news, and I thought you listeners would want to hear that. And so, again, this comes from at Moore 92 Tara Moore, who, of course, I'm sure all of you know, professional tennis player. Uh, Stuart Frazier also wrote a piece about it for thetimes.co.uk. If you want to read more, of course, that, though. There is a paywall for that, but go support journalism, folks. It matters now more than ever. But interesting detail that I thought all of us should enjoy hearing, and Austin and I actually talk about uh, the return of tennis in a little bit later during our Technique Tuesday conference. Conversation just a couple of other things down the home stretch, real quickly. Uh, the ITF has published revised qualification dates for the Tokyo 2020 Olympic Tennis Event and Paralympic Wheelchair Tennis Event. Uh, again, that's a little bit further down the road, so we will talk about that in depth later, but thought that's an interesting tidbit because, again, we're starting to see signs of life, folks. That's what we're learning more and more about. Uh, even if we don't know exactly what the ramifications will be, it's clear people are ready to start trying to do things once more. Um, North Carolina Central Men's Tennis Team, congratulations to you on being awarded the National ITA Community Service Award for the D1 men. They amassed 556 hours of community service during this season. Uh, Again, it was an abridged season as well, so that is crazy. Shout out to those guys again. It shows uh, when college tennis is good, it's good not just as a product, but for the community as well, all of the opportunities it offers. So shout out uh, to that North Carolina Central Men's Tennis Team. And then last but not least, I saw going around on Twitter, tennis Twitter today. It was popular because you know universal uh, the ultimate universal tennis series. Excuse me, the ultimate tennis showdown, the Patrick Mortaloo uh, exhibition event that's going to go along, along at Mortaloo Tennis Academy, uh, starting up, and they're playing with the format. And there was a video today going around Patrick Mortalou saying, "Look, the average tennis fan is I think 61 years of age," and you know people were clapping back at him. That's the TV metric, and people were saying that's not accurate. And you know, there of course I'm. I'm pointing fun at that because you you can't say anything without getting people to doubt you. The sentiment behind Patrick Mortaleau's statement completely lost in that he's the the point of this Ultimate Tennis Showdown the point he's trying to make is that he is using this opportunity as an exhibition as a format to just test uh, new formats to see if there is a way to broaden the appeal to younger fans if you change up the playing format, if you change up uh, the style of play and just the timing of certain elements and trying to make the event more fan friendly. And of course people can't see the sentiment behind that. They want to jump on him immediately. And there were some valid points. You know, they talk about the average tennis fan. A, is that just a TV metric? Is that actually the metric of the fans showing up to the stadium? And of course, the prices of the best tennis seat often serves as a gate into uh, not allowing younger players or or younger fans, people who haven't accumulated as much wealth in their lives to spend on that sort of, uh, you know, uh, spend on that sort of luxury, I suppose, to get the good tennis seats they are being priced out Uh, by these events and there's a lot of merit to that point as well but people who want to jump on you know why are you experimenting with the format that's not the problem with tennis and there's no need to change the format I'm a format purist I'd never believe in no ad scoring it's got to always remain the same way I just don't think that's very helpful right now I mean do you deny the point do you think tennis has a broad enough audience that it's sustainable moving forward do you think tennis continues to appeal to young people that it continues to broaden its base of fans and you know expand as we move into the future if you think it is right now credit to you we've got a place on the podcast for you to make the case but I don't see any problem with experimentation and again these aren't certified events. These are exhibitions. These are supposed to be just that for fun and to give players opportunities to get reps and just to, again, see these players conduct their business and be on the court in an informal environment and what that does to their energy levels on the court, what that does for the level of play, what that does for the level of engagement and amusement for all of us fans. I have no problem with Patrick Mortalou playing around. I wish people, again, would appreciate the sentiment more than jump on his exact words and you know, are there, is there merit to, again, tennis, you know, the purism of tennis? Do you really need to broaden the base? Do you, what about the fans who are already fans of the sport and enjoy it the way it is? Again, we've had these arguments so many times on this Cracked Rackets podcast. Um, but I would say my biggest takeaway is, you know, let the man, and he's putting on this spectacular event. If he wants to play around with the format, experiment moving forward, more power to you, Patrick Mordaloo. I assure you he has been around enough tennis. He has seen it at all levels of the game. Uh, he has seen all levels of the game. Excuse me, that if he thinks there's some benefit in experimentation, folks, there probably is. Uh, so maybe let's be a little bit of open. Let's be a little bit open-minded as we get ready to enjoy the ultimate tennis showdown. Uh, but that's all the news going on right now from throughout the tennis world. Again, that's not all we've got on today's podcast, folks. I know it's a Wednesday, but we would never go a week without chatting with our friends from my tennis HQ. So without further ado. Austin Rapp, co-founder of MyTennisHQ, joins me today to talk about the dirty reality in truth and how much money do tennis players actually make. That conversation coming up right after this commercial break. Joining us for another edition of Technique Tuesday is the former All American at UCLA and co founder of My Tennis HQ, Austin Rapp. Austin, welcome back to the show. How are you doing tonight?
2: Doing good, Alex. Thanks for having me back
1: on. Oh, of course. It is always a pleasure. And I will say, I was playing tennis this weekend, and it was probably. My fourth hit of 2020, which is not something I'm proud of saying, but all I could think is, "Wow, I've done all of these Technique Tuesdays, and then none of it is applicable to me on the court anymore."
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you gotta, you gotta get back out there. <laughs>
1: uh, it's atrocious. It's just, it, it's the idea of, and I'm, you know, for you, given there is somewhat of a layoff, I suppose. I'm sure you are still more on the tennis court than I am, but you know, it's just the pace of it all. You know, someone hits a ball deep, and I'm just
2: lost. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah. I mean, that's just something that's going to come back with hitting balls. But I feel like, uh, you know, you you hop on the court and it feels great to be on. And then a week later, it's like everything's uh, messed up, the timing and and all that. So...
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, and the thing is, like, my older brother, I think I lost one point to him when he was trying to talk trash. I was like, Eric, I could beat you and o right now. Like, name the time, name the place, we will go do it because you can't hurt me. But my little <laughs> brother, Nick, who's still, you know, finishing his senior year in high school, still fresh in the game. Like, if I hang a little knuckleball of a forehand, he just punishes it, and it's just, <laughs> it's disastrous.
2: <laughs> that's that's no fun to lose you to your brother.
1: No, it's like the teams used to be me and my older brother against my little brother and my cousin because I was the best. They were the next two. My older brother's the worst, and now it's me and my cousin versus my little <laughs> brother and older brother, and it's just uh-huh. steps Like, you know, Shakira, I've said this before, but the song, you know, My Hips Don't Lie, like my hips do lie. It's just <laughs> the, the, the tort's not there anymore. Um, but I suppose that is my own tennis conundrum. For you getting back on the court, I know you've had, you know, high-quality players you can hit with, but has there been any adjustments adjustment period for you or are you feeling pretty comfortable right now with your game
2: uh I'm having fun with it I mean I'm not out there too much but uh yeah I'm, I'm going out there tomorrow hit some balls and yeah I'm, I'm having fun when I'm out there that's for sure mm-hmm. uh, when was the last time you
1: I no, was gonna say when is the last time you took like three months off from hitting a ball
2: never <laughs> never <laughs> in my entire life maybe when I was eight years old uh, yeah
1: it, it's really it's been that long
2: oh yeah I mean yeah you don't just take three I mean, unless you're injured, uh, mm-hmm. you know, thank God I haven't been uh, seriously injured in my career. Uh, but that's really the only time that you would take three months off, I feel like, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. Even even if you need to step away from the game and uh, take a little me time, you're at least hitting a couple times a week, I think, right? Mm-hmm.
1: No, I, I mean, I would hope so. Um, yeah. When was the last time you took three months or, you know, this extended period of time from competition?
2: Oh, man.
1: Same same answer?
2: Yeah, probably same answer because the only time you would really do that is if you're working on something so drastic in your game, you know, like changing your grip or, or something like that. Uh, and I mean, damn, even that three months is a long time to take off a competition. So uh, strange times.
1: Yeah, no, no kidding. I mean, I'm washed, so I suppose I've been away from competition for years. <laughs> but yeah, I can only imagine. And I feel like for you, you are probably still playing sets in practice at this point.
2: Yeah, I'm, I I get out there and play points uh, for mm-hmm. sure. I don't want to I don't want to just be drilling uh, the whole time, especially, uh, you know, sets are more fun for me. So I want to <laughs> yeah. get out there and enjoy my time on the court when I'm out there.
1: Mm-hmm. Have you been able to get out and hit more frequently now that things have calmed down a little bit safety health wise, you can, you know, people are able to get back out on a tennis court. Is that something you've been taking advantage of?
2: For sure. Yeah. It's starting to loosen up a lot. Uh, even in LA, you know, you see on the news oh, LA is like the, Oh, <laughs> the virus is everywhere kind of thing. Uh, mm-hmm. but even here, you know, parks and all that are open. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, back to almost normal hours the only thing is uh usta isn't open yet so uh there's obviously there was a big thing yesterday where they announced all their cuts uh that's not not good obviously for anyone so um but yeah just just finding a way getting out on the court and everything
1: Mm-hmm. Now, have you been able to, you know, I, I'm sure you do some teaching on the side. I, I have some questions about that as we get into today's topic, but have you been able to get back out on the court with some of your students?
2: Yeah, yeah. I've been uh, getting out there with a couple of my students pretty regularly through quarantine on private courts and uh, things like that. But obviously, the the hours that you're able to uh, find and get those private courts isn't you know, you can't, can't teach six, seven hours a day. It just doesn't work like that. So it's been limited, but uh, I've been lucky enough to get out there quite a bit.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know, and that's something I want to ask you about, how frequently you're out there uh, coaching students, because today's topic for our Technique Tuesday, and by the way, we acknowledge it's Technique Tuesday on a Wednesday. Sometimes you got to mess around the schedule a little bit, have some fun with it. Of course, we here at Crack Rackets getting excited for our Crack Rackets open this weekend, and so we were able to talk to Ronnie Schneider and Rajiv Ram these past two days. If you haven't listened to those, go check those out, because I think they've held over, you know, the mini breaks every day, but those are some conversations that will last a little bit longer. Uh, but, of course, we always love to have our Technique Tuesdays because we love talking to you guys at my Tennis HQ. And I know you guys are up to all sorts of stuff on the website. You're also really getting into uh, the instructional video game as well. Uh, how are things for you guys over there, Austin?
2: Good, especially now that we're able to get on the court more. Uh, mm-hmm. Able to really ramp up the YouTube, uh, doing a lot of the instructional videos is nice. Uh, I mean obviously when things were starting to take off for us um this quarantine happened that was in march and we were really banking on throughout the year uh with karu traveling with naomi just being able to get a lot of uh like on-site uh footage you know even just you know if men's and women's or just a women's event uh, all these different players up close and obviously that hasn't happened um but also we haven't been able to really film ourselves and that's a big part of the instructional videos so we're happy to get back out there and and we're really grinding it out now taking advantage of it
1: has there been an hr meeting about the karoo mustache
2: oh there hasn't i don't know uh what do you think do you think it's helping the brand or uh is, is it not good
1: <sighs> it's a fair question I, I'm torn on it because to a point, it, you know, it, it does look good. He wears it well. And, I mean, it's clear you're like, okay, this guy played college tennis. You can see it with the neckline. But at the same time, you know, it's it, it's something.
2: Yeah. Uh, well, we, maybe we need to set up a poll. And, That's what I'm uh, I like that. Do, do <laughs> we, some we customer might, surveys. <laughs> we might need a poll. He might, you know, need that for other uh, facets of his life as well. So he can put it on his personal account and go from there.
1: <laughs> yeah, I feel like ultimately it's Naomi's decision. It's really up to her. If she doesn't like the mustache, it's got to go. If she's fine with it, then Karou, do your thing. Um, but no, I, I've, I, I, first of all, totally hear you in terms of that. You know, this global pandemic has changed the plans for so many of us for so many different reasons. So, um, yeah, none of us could have expected that. But I do enjoy, you know, again, the, the video seeing you guys out there because to a certain degree um, through tennis, you have to learn by doing
2: yeah, of course. I mean, uh, and that's that's something that we've said through the quarantine is you can't just sit on your ass for two months and watch videos and expect to get out on the court and be playing your best tennis. It's just not how it works. You got to hit balls. It's more important to hit balls than to, to read all of our articles, uh, to be honest. As much yeah. as, <laughs> you know, as a business, it'd be great if you could just read all our articles and become top 100 in the world. Uh, that is... Far, far, far from the truth. So, um, yeah, it's been really nice to get back out there
1: believe me, I am a test case to that point you just made. Again, it was a disaster uh, this weekend, and I have watched probably more film than anyone uh, across the country, so yeah, it, uh, you definitely it's a sport that you learn by doing but, you know, today we wanted to do something a little bit different with our Technique Tuesday episode. Normally we will break down some aspect of the game and you know, talk about how each all of you listeners can get better in the tennis you are playing, uh, but today we wanted to talk about something a little bit different, and as I've mentioned over these past couple of weeks. Uh, You guys have really expanded the range of topics you guys are covering on your uh, website right now. In fact, you know, this week's article talks about uh, something a little bit different. It's not technique related, uh, but it does relate to the game of tennis because it's a topic we have broached many times on this podcast. You know, the, the topic of pay equity and the fact that this uh, global pandemic has highlighted uh, the fact that when something like this happens, you know, players don't have uh, resources, places of income to turn to and how dire that is for so many tennis players. And, you know, I know this is not an article that you wrote personally, but I know this is a subject that you can speak to directly, Um, you know, especially again, right now, given this global pandemic, given there are no sanctioned events, you know, how real are the, the financial disparities in professional tennis, are you feeling them now more than ever?
2: Yeah, of course. Uh, I mean, look, nobody can comp- uh, prepare for something like this to happen. And I think you you touched on it. You know, the main thing is uh, it highlights the issues that are going on um, all the time. You know, uh, when, when something like this happens, it, it really does show how individual our sport is. And, um, you know, in a lot of circumstances, how, uh, little support we get from the bigger, you know, institutions. Um, (laughs) you know, I mean, even I could, there's a lot to this and there's a lot to break down, but, um, you know, tennis players are technically independent contractors. Um, so that implies that, uh, the ATP runs tournaments for us, or the ITF runs tor- runs tournaments for us um, for us to make money. But it's not our sole source of income. But that's obviously not the case. You know, if if you're top 250, you don't have time for a side gig or other money tournaments to play, and it, you know, um, it, it just seems silly to me.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's very fair. And again, today's article, How Much Do Tennis Players Make? Uh, the Ugly Truth, written by our third co-founder of my tennis HQ, Guy Hablick. Uh, and it talks about, again, just putting facts and figures with, next to players and rankings. He really does an exceptional breakdown in this article, talking about how much the average player makes uh, per year, how much the average player makes per match, and why using that figure, the average salary throughout professional tennis is not... Reflective of the salary that the majority of tennis players uh, are making and the sort of compensation that they are used to uh, because of how top heavy the distribution of prize money is in professional tennis. And I know his article speaks uh, pretty directly to singles, but again, it this is not a new topic, right? This is something players have been aware of for quite a while. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in your discussions on tour, uh, in your discussions, you know, you're at the tournament hanging out, chatting with other players. How frequently does this come up?
2: Comes up a lot. Uh, you know, we're, we're all out there living the same kind of grind and living the same problems uh, that are on the tour, uh, most of us. So, you know, it, it does come up, you know, players go to dinner and talk about these things and uh, possible solutions and things like that. And I think there's a lot of different ways to go about it that would help. Um, so obviously, the, the article goes through how much of a gap there is between even the top five and the top 10, uh, which seems crazy, you would think the top 10 is relatively all the same. But um, the top five is making more than double number let's say 4 is making more than double what number 10 is which you know that's crazy and it just gets worse and worse as you go down the down the list
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I do want to get into some of those figures directly. But at the beginning of this, his article, he talks about, you know, the different ways that tennis players can make money. And, you know, for a player outside the top 20, the top 30, maybe even, you know, you can go a little further than that, the top 50. um, How much, uh, I suppose income is available outside of just prize money directly you know how much of you the income you're making this year, uh, throughout a year is playing uh, you know non-itf just playing some random men's open money tournament or you know teaching lessons you know how prevalent is that you think in the lives of many professional tennis players outside the top 100
2: it's not very prevalent uh obviously it's different for everyone but if you're really gonna give it A 100% shot you don't have too much time for that Uh, I mean if you're gonna get out of the futures you've got to be playing unless you're an anomaly you have to be playing 30 weeks a year so that gives 20 around 20 weeks to rest and maybe teach and play money tournaments on the side I mean I've I've learned myself wanting to let's say I have a week in between two futures or a challenger or something um, and there's a money tournament locally i've learned the hard way that it's not always the best idea even though it's tempting to go try and win that extra 1000 bucks at a money tournament it, those days of rest are really important um you know and obviously any hours that you're spending on the court teaching are taking away from hours that you could be training and because teaching is physically demanding it's not it's not like you're sitting at home working an office job you know I, not that that's not Um, like demanding on time, but it's not physically demanding. So if I am going to teach three hours of lessons in the afternoon, I know that that could be time that I'm putting in, uh, you know, on on the court working towards my own game, but it's different for everyone. You know, everyone's financial uh, circumstances are different. So it just depends on uh, one, what someone's trying to get out of their game and two, what they think they can kind of get away with, what they think they need to do. It it just depends.
1: Yeah no I mean you look at some of the numbers and we can start here uh, The average tennis player salary between 2015 and 2019 was 113,000 about $500 per year Or about $2,000 per match in prize money uh, Of course that's deceiving because only 13% of players made more than $100,000 per year That's 195 players You add in another 69 made more than 50000 So again you know Barely 250 players are breaking over $50,000 per year in a sport that sees... You know, over 1,200 players in its singles rankings alone, and then you get into doubles and all the different forms of the game. And, you know, this is where you start talking about how lopsided the distribution of the money is. And, you know, something like appearance fees is something we have talked about before for these tournaments. They're spending X amount of dollars on the side that's not even factored into the prize money players are making by playing the actual event on these top guys just to get them – to the event but you know again it that's what it's really about right the fact and we can get into tournaments and how much money they're offering in terms of the revenue as a total piece of the pie to the players in terms of how much prize money the players are getting from that revenue but it really starts with the slams down right just the the prize money offered there compared to everywhere else it's just mm-hmm. not uh, sustainable
2: Yeah i mean it's tricky there's a lot to it and we could talk about this for Four weeks straight because there is so much to it. But at the end of the day, it's a business. Uh, I get that it's ATP, ITF. They're they're business. Their businesses. Their governing bodies. And um, I mean, you saw with the USTA, you know, this uh, coronavirus pandemic makes it financially affects their bottom line. You know, they have to make cuts where they need to, uh, even though they don't want to. So I do get that, but personally i think that um the changes would it's it's not as easy as just saying hey let's shave this amount from these guys prize money and give it down to the lower guys i don't you know i don't really believe in that as much because it is a business um but i do think that a really easy way to create uh, more money in our sport is just to make it more entertaining and that goes to a lot of uh, what some guys on the tour have been saying Noah Rubin comes to mind um, just making the sport more watchable and making people want to get behind it and and sit at a bar on a Sunday and watch the finals of Cincinnati it, it was the last time you heard a, a person who doesn't play tennis say that they want to go watch the finals of Cincinnati you know what I mean
1: mm-hmm. no absolutely um,
2: so I don't know I think my personal opinion, and it's kind of extreme, is I think that tennis should go more towards a team format um, because, I don't know, you, you look at these other sports like football, basketball, baseball, people get behind their teams. And because of that, people get behind these players. And that would give the opportunity for guys who, let's say, are 300, uh, rank 300, uh, throwing out a name like Mike Redlicky. Um, if he can be on the team with a guy who's top 50 and a bunch of fans get behind that team, all of a sudden Mike Redlicky has a bunch of fans just because he's associated with that team. Um, and then that trickles down to his him treating himself as a business. He can promote himself on his social media, have ads, sponsors, all, all these things. So I personally think that that would be um, – a really good way to do it Uh, or, or at least have a part of the year assigned to that. I I know a lot of people have in a little tennis utopia uh, world, (laughs) shorten the calendar to six or eight months of the regular, you know, four grand slams and the masters and all that. And then the last four months of the year, give the players the opportunity to play in team stuff that can, you know, how cool would it be to have Roger and uh, Rafa Novak, Fabio Fagnini, all these guys on different teams competing against each other and make it a league and, and play, you know, I, I just think that would be really cool. And it would be it would be really effective from a business standpoint.
1: Yeah, I I think to your point, you know, we'll get to see how much uh, attention is given to the team tennis format, how popular that can be, especially when there aren't other forms of tennis going on, given the fact that World Team Tennis is going to start July 12th, and we'll get to see all these teams in action, and that'll be the first sort of sanctioned event we've seen in quite a bit of time, assuming it gets going in July, and as of now, it does look like all systems are go for that, and you know we'll see if the appetite is there, if fans you know uh, eat it up. Because you have to think at this point, if the if the revenue was there, if the fan interest was there, then tennis mm-hmm. would probably be a team sport. And I know world team tennis has a TV contract now with CBS Sports, and I know that the in, uh, income they've generated from that TV deal certainly has allowed them to do things that has incentivized more players and higher quality players to play uh, their team. Team tennis event, but you know it's interesting, right? Because to a certain degree, um, look, as you mentioned, so often we find ourselves as fans, as people who are interested in wanting tennis to continue, you know, to be the best that it can be. Is as you mentioned, we sort of get lost in this tennis utopia, and it's this dream world where everyone can be compensated perfectly. Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, to a certain level, you have to acknowledge that's never going to be the case. If you're, you know, out if you're not a top fifty player in your sport to expect to be compensated in a way that will keep you, you know, absorbently comfortable. Uh, that's just not reasonable. Um, mm-hmm. But you, you look at a number like this, and again, what you know, money drives all of this attention, and money drives almost everything in all aspects of life for a lot of reasons, uh, which we don't have to get into today. But uh, in this, you know, piece I have in front of me that Christopher Clary wrote um, for the New York Times, you know, again, the U.S. Mm-hmm. Open three hundred eighty million dollars in revenue in twenty eighteen paid mm-hmm. out fifty. $50. $53 million in player compensation. So that's, you know, about 14% of the total pot. Um, Mm -hmm. Now, the prize money for the Grand Slams continues to increase. And that's why we see this pay disparity, because to a certain Mm -hmm. level, again, it's economics. If the Grand Slams are the events that are drawing in the most money, then the players who draw the interest for those events probably do deserve to be compensated best. But Mm -hmm. to a certain degree, I mean, it, it's going to have to be top-down reform because unless a guy like a Djokovic, a Federer, a Nadal, a Dominic team, an Alex Virov or a player you know who reaches that level of the game agrees to give up some of that salary in, in an effort to maybe better distribute that money to lower-ranked events, uh, it's just never going to happen, right?
2: Right. Yeah. And to your point, um, I don't know if they should because yeah. that is money that they have earned. Uh, for example, Zverev, let's say he goes and wins Indian Wells. Uh, he earned every penny of that paycheck. Um, mm-hmm. and, and he shouldn't feel obligated to give any money to a guy like me at 680 or whatever. Um, cause he earned it. So that's where my idea comes in. What if you could have a guy, Marcos Giron? he's, he's a great example cause he's right on the dot a hundred or a hundred one in the world. Um, put him on a team with uh, Novak or Zverev or Fognini, and all of a sudden he's going to get a lot of attention, and um, I think that is the direction that eventually the game, I would really like to see the game go, and it's not going to happen in my career, but I, I don't know. I just think uh, that makes the most sense to me.
1: Yeah. Because um, no, I, I, no,
2: here, here's yeah. what you look at. You look at, why why are these slams able to generate so much, and it's because uh, you you have so much attention on basically the round of 16, on you know quarter, semis, finals th- with the top five guys in the world uh, trying to defend their slam or whatever it is, um, and people want to watch those guys. So if you can if you can put those guys on a team with some of the lower guys, uh, I think it would give them more attention and. Um, naturally they would be able to make more money through their organization with uh, their team their club team whatever, whatever it would be um, if that makes sense
1: mm-hmm. yeah no I, uh, I I completely think that's fair and I know club tennis d- does exist in various parts of the country I know in Europe in particular I've heard stories of a lot of college guys who go back home after the summer mm-hmm. go play for their club teams and mm-hmm. yeah again it goes back to following the money right because uh, you know We've been, you've been to a challenger. I've been to a challenger. We've both been to futures events as well. They're not drawing hundreds of, or thousands even, of people. There's not Mm -hmm. these huge revenue streams available to those level of play. So really, the money is at the top of the game, and it has to. That's what I've really learned and honed in on during this break is that, you know, it's the grand slams and it's you know the top players who justifiably, as you mentioned, command uh, the most money. But it's about the long term health of the game. If there's not a system in place for players to progress up the rankings, if it becomes financially unfeasible uh, for a player who maybe hits a blip in the road and gets stuck at you know the challenger's level for a little bit and you know just money-wise isn't able to travel around the world, meet the demands right. of that, uh, then the, the system begins to fall apart and the best players mm-hmm. aren't able to rise to the top.
2: Yeah, and the other thing that goes along with that is if you do get stuck at that level um, because tennis players are paying their own expenses um, they're pouring money into themselves, and it, you know the results don't always come. You're not always going to be able to keep that consistent income to keep pouring money into yourself. That's so, true. if you had organizations, uh, let's say, <laughs> Los Angeles, whatever team with eight, eight, ten guys on it that that play club matches against the San Diego, whatever, then you not only have um, more local events where you don't have to travel these long weeks, but you also have organizations that would be able to uh, pay those players based on the viewership and pay for the little things, the little expenses like stringing and um, traveling if needed and food and things like that. Uh, Maybe even coaching, you know, you have a coach. Uh, So you look at, you look at this list that we have in the article and um, we, we list the average prize money per year based on your ranking compared to jobs of similar pay. And the, the problem is, you know, you look at 300 to 350 um, makes the same amount as a bookkeeper. So that's 300 or $30,000. Sorry. But that bookkeeper isn't paying their expenses to, to work. They're getting that money in a paycheck every week. So, you know at at 30k a year when you're 300 to 350 that really i mean you're not pocketing anything let's be honest you know uh mm-hmm. you might you you might be able to break even if you're if you're skimping and um you know you're not paying for a coach at that point there's no way you can't pay you can't pay a coach 10k a year and he travels with you and does the whole thing you know Mm-hmm.
1: no absolutely the raised expenses has to be factored in because again the travel and you know tennis players i say this all the time underrated eaters and so the exorbitant mm-hmm. amount of foods that you know food that tennis players need to eat in order to you know stay in shape and do what they need to do and then as you mentioned you start getting into things like coaches and stringing and court time and travel expenses hotels yeah you know again i think 30,000 is above the poverty line but you know for a tennis player when you factor in expenses no it's not um and of so, course yeah, not
2: that, yeah that's a that's yeah. a great way to put it you know above the poverty line well no we're just trying to get we're just trying to be a dollar in the green at that point you know
1: yeah uh, and, and,
2: that, and, and that's well below the, the poverty line so mm-hmm.
1: and and that doesn't factor in things such as potential endorsements but at that level of game uh, of the game what does the endorsement money look like
2: nothing um okay. it, it if if you have endorsements you're you're looking at, um, something like commission on, on sales that you make or something like that. You know, if you have, if you have a code, uh, like for example, crack Rackets with the diadem, you know, this code, you get a, you get a cut, whatever, uh, that happens at that level. But then again, you don't have the viewership to bring in those sales. So that's a great point where if you can put a guy at 300, like Mike Redlicky on a team, With someone that is known in the tennis world, that would drive up that aspect of uh, a guy with 300, his income.
1: Mm-hmm. And again, you look at things like coaches and, or not coaches, excuse me, but like stringing rackets. And when you were at UCLA, I'm sure that's something you never had to mm-hmm. worry about. You'd say, "Here, Grant, no. here, Billy, you know, uh, you know, 54 on the crosses, 56 on the main because I'm feeling a little weaker today," um, yeah. or just you know whatever something like that it may be. And that's not the case for you guys. You have to seek out stringers. You have to have string on hand, even and you know for you it, it, if you contact, you're still playing with a bab, right? Mm-hmm. does that the string you use does that come from bablot or is that you
2: no i'm with Selenko, so um they send me string so mm-hmm. th- that's a good example of a company that's helping me out you know it's 680 mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. they've decided hey we'll give this guy gear and whatever um but definitely and not expected that they pay me in any way because i'm i'm not providing them um enough of a advertisement to, it's a business, you know?
1: Yeah, no. uh, Again, that nails it, and so that's something you have to consider. And so, again, in terms of you know some of these figures, like you just went over, once you get outside the top three hundred, you're making thirty grand or less, Uh, and you know that's a guaranteed. And you talk about what you're making per match, and you know once you get outside of that top three hundred range, again, it's about five hundred seventy three dollars per match. And I assume all of these figures are before taxes as well. And so again, it just gets grimmer and grimmer the financial realities for some of these players. And so, you know, a a team solution... Look, I'm not trying to be anti your team solution if that's of how course. I'm coming off. I apologize because I you know, I I agree. I think there's something special about the team format. I think our fans can speak t- attest to the fact the reason we enjoy college tennis so much is because that team format and what mm-hmm. it brings out, you know, not just physically but emotionally from the players, the sort of uh, effort levels you're able to uh, get out of these players is different than maybe in any other format. Um but it's just about its the financial reality, right? Is the money there? You'd think maybe World Team Tennis or what is it—the ITPL that they do in Asia as well. These sorts of things. Uh, if if people wanted it, you'd think by now they would have taken off. And maybe the demand is there, just hasn't been explored enough yet. Certainly, again, that's the bet Carlos Silva and the crew at World Team Tennis are making, and it's a bet we are right. rooting for here at Crack Rackets. And you know, again, I know you guys on your website have offered other articles, and if you want to hear about more about the prize money debate i would say you all should go to my tennis hq not only read this article how much do tennis players make the ugly truth but also quick fixes for prize money redistribution and gambling issues in pro tennis as well as why futures level winners should be awarded challenger wild cards and I do like that again you know things we've talked about as well incentive based performance uh, on Mm -hmm. the tour the idea of a universal basic income which is depending on where you start the year being ranked you are going to be guaranteed X amount of dollars in salary and then instead you know every first round loss you get no prize money but every first you know every match you win is what is compensated therefore you know the rest of the tour year I think that's another interesting idea. Uh but I would say the theme is the you know the current structure as is uh it's just not sustainable moving forward.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it's not. Uh and obviously the team format is it's an extreme kind of take, but regardless my point is that there needs to be a system change. It can't be just oh we're going to take this money and trickle it down the ladder so that everyone's happy. I just don't think that works. Um, It does need to be like an institution change, in order to you know if they don't want to give up a higher percentage of the revenue, then um, they make more money, and Mm -hmm. and and figure it out that way. Make tennis more watchable and more entertaining. Mm
1: -hmm. And again, for all those in the Indianapolis area who want to watch some entertaining tennis this weekend, be sure to come out to our inaugural Cracked Rackets Open. Sorry, had to throw in the plug there. Um, No. Yeah, and I, again, I would say for everyone, again, who wants to learn more about this subject, really do go read the MyTennisHQ. Uh, go to MyTennisHQ.com and read this, How Much Do Tennis Players Make the Ugly Truth? Because there are even more outstanding facts, figures, graphs that we didn't touch on in this conversation that I think all of you listeners will find informative at the least, uh, you know, entertaining and uh, at the, certainly in. So uh, it's a piece very much worth reading. Uh, just, uh, you know, one or two more questions for you, Austin, then I like, yeah. I'll let you go I promise but in general right now I'm curious what you are hearing we have seen so many exhibition style events emerge across the globe really at all levels of play I just plugged our cracked rackets open as well but we see the ITA starting up their summer circuit you know men's open starting to pop up across the country as well are you starting to get the itch, you know, to start going out there playing again? Would you feel comfortable playing in an event? And, you know, I suppose part three of that question is, do, are you starting to think that we may see a return of professional tennis at the ITF level, even if it's only regional uh, during this 2020 season?
2: Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I, they haven't really announced anything. So it's all speculation at this point. Um, so it's hard to plan for that. I'm just kind of rolling with the punches and see how it goes. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of men's opens coming up, uh, all over the place. So I'm, I'm getting the itch. I might go play. There's one in San Diego at some point coming up and Karu texts me, Hey, like, come on, let's go play it. Uh, (laughs) but, but, um, whatever, you know, there's, they're, they're going on all over the place. And I think, uh, it, it is, it is starting, I'm starting to get a better feeling about, um, at, at, for a while I, thought that there wasn't gonna be any more pro tennis for the rest of the calendar year. But I don't think that is gonna stand. I think there I think you're gonna see tennis in the fall. I think you're gonna see pro tennis in the fall.
1: Will it be international in your opinion or do you think it'll stick regional based?
2: I don't know. Again it's all Tough speculation. Question. It, yeah. It's it's all speculation. Uh my gut Would you says travel
1: no. would you travel internationally to play an
2: event? Would I? Um I guess it depends on where, uh, yeah. depends on how seriously that country is taking this. Um, because it, I mean, I can pretty much say with certainty if, 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 if uh, some of these men's opens that are going on or if ITFs were to happen in the U S there would be strict rules. Um, mm-hmm. but I can't say the same about some other countries that I've been to. Uh, you know, I just don't know how seriously they would take it or what regulations would be in place. So it, it it's not really a generic uh answer, you know.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's completely fair. It's part of the difficulties, again, with tennis is that it's an international mm-hmm. sport, and even mm-hmm. an ITF being played in the United States or anywhere in North America is going to certainly feature players that were born outside of the region. And so, yeah, it's you know it, it, it's a bit of a conundrum, to say the least, and it's why, again, we will continue to see uh, the tours work together to try and mm-hmm. get something organized, because you're right, there will have to be some sort of universal regulation put in place, certainly. Um, yeah,
2: and it's, and it's going to be interesting going forward because you can't just have tournaments in the US and then what happens to a country in Europe who isn't allowing their players to go travel Um, you can't award points and have half the globe not able to compete Um, so it's going to raise there's going to be a lot of people that are upset with whatever decision they make you know Uh, Mm -hmm. they they really it's such a tricky thing they can't be 100% right and they can't please everyone I think the majority of people just want to get back to tennis no matter what it is, Um, but that's going to upset the people that can't get back to tennis, you know? Yeah,
1: no, No, even if you offered events regionally and you offered equal points, like – is it fair, and this is just a random example, and I apologize that I don't know much about Portuguese tennis, and maybe there's outstanding, like, depth, but if Nuno, you know, Nuno Borges, mm-hmm. just graduated Mississippi State, let's say he gets to play the challenger equivalent, and he wins, like, all four of them in the month in Portugal, because they're just mm-hmm. going to offer them to each and every country, and he just skyrockets up the rankings. Now, I think he's an incredible player, but,
2: you know, right. that's, an
1: ex- that's an extreme example. That's just as unfair as if there's only tennis in the United States states
2: 100 i mean yeah that's the perfect example uh if you're not going to allow i mean it it happens in uh this kind of point chasing idea happens where guys will go to the weakest challengers here try to pick up points weakest futures here try to pick up points and um there's a reason for that Mm -hmm. uh so yeah that would that would cause a lot of issues they're gonna they're gonna have to figure it out it's it's not gonna be easy that's for sure
1: Yeah, no, it is certainly not. And again, as we learn more and more, we have tried to keep all of our listeners educated. Hopefully, you feel like you are in a pretty good place as a listener. Wise, I know I feel better after this conversation. And again, uh, if there's any silver linings to come out of this pandemic, it's that all of us have had time now to take a look at some of these structural issues facing tennis. And, you know, all of our best minds are on it, certainly. And so uh, Mm -hmm. it's something that's not going to be solved overnight, as we have mentioned. But we're on the case, which is more than we could have said, perhaps. 24, 36, uh, 48 months ago. I don't know why months is the increment I wanted to go to. I just thought I could run up the number. That's only like four years, but still, uh, (laughs) you know, it sounded really more, uh, much more impressive saying 48 months. But um, again, uh, the article that we talked about today, how much do tennis players make the ugly truth can be found on mytennishq.com. Austin, uh, again, what do you guys have coming up and where can the listeners uh, find all of your stuff?
2: Uh, We have some good stuff coming up, especially on YouTube carew has been doing a lot of stuff with that, so um, yeah, we've got we've got a couple articles coming out a week, a couple more uh, propositions coming out soon on issues like this. Um, so yeah, it's going to be good. You can find our stuff at mytennishq.com, uh, at mytennishq on YouTube and Instagram, and uh, m- most of our stuff's on there.
1: I had this conversation with Carew, but. Uh, I last week but I have to imagine you're the one running those accounts because you know they're competent um, but I you know I saw the my tennis HQ account pop up and I immediately hit you with a follow and I immediately got the follow back and I feel like that's just again that's the sort of class that is clearly an Austin rap move and not a crew move so appreciate uh, of that.
0: course of course <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, and again we encourage all of you listeners please go support our friends at my it really is an outstanding resource from all, all aspects whether you want to learn to Again, more about some of the issues facing tennis or, again, the instructional videos to improve your own game. But as we stressed at the beginning, uh, read everything you want, but also go, go try it out on the court if it's safe and healthy for you to do that. That's the only way uh, any of us are going to get better as tennis players. And I feel like that's a good place to end because, again, uh, as we, we've gone full circle here. So, Austin, thank you, as always, for taking the time to chat today. Uh, as you know, you know, you are always welcome back on our show, and we look forward to chatting to, with you again soon.
2: All right, Alex. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Uh, I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, of course. Take care,
1: man. Hope all of you enjoyed my conversation with My Tennis HQ co founder Austin Rapp. And again, for all of you listeners who want to check out more of what the My Tennis HQ team is up to, be sure to go check out their website, mytennishq.com, their YouTube channel, their Instagram, Twitter pages as well. <clears throat> we are big fans of them. Excuse me for that. Apologies. We are big fans of them here at Cracked Rackets, and we know you will like their stuff, so be sure to go support that as well. And again, we always enjoy chatting with Austin, so big thank you to him for agreeing to come on the show today. Oh, we've had some exceptional conversations all week long here on the Mini Break Podcast. Three different guests for three different days. Ronnie Schneider on Monday, Rajiv Ram on Tuesday. We talked to them about this weekend's inaugural Cracked Rackets Open. You know, they're both participating in that. They're both also at various, very, very differing stages of their career Rani getting ready to phase out of the game, get ready to join the non-tennis real world. Uh, Rajiv, of course, won his first men's doubles Grand Slam just this January at the Australian Open, and so both incredibly elucidating conversations that I think all of you listeners will enjoy. Did I use that word correctly? Maybe, maybe not. Uh, the point is, go listen to the conversations because I know you will like them. You also enjoy the cracked interviews we've been doing as of late. Lots of college tennis players uh, we've been talking to. It is May, you know, or it was May, I should say. So we were are in an NTA mood. We've got a nice queue of guests lined up for all of you. Most recently, uh, we talked to two All-Americans in both singles and doubles. Andrew Fenty of the University of Michigan talked about his and I will say my Wolverines dream season and of course for him, you know that decision to uh, go to college, how it's paid dividends for him. We also talked to UCLA senior Jada Hart about being a singles and doubles All-American about beating Stanford this season and for her, you know she's made the decision to come back to Complete her senior year in 2021. Uh, we talk about why she made that decision, the incentives behind doing just that. Uh, both fascinating conversations, and of course, Alexa Graham, Ashley Leahy, Brianna Schwetz, Gianni Ross, uh, Elliot Spaziri, Will Blumberg. So many great conversations with so many great college players, all of which can be found on our Cracked Interviews podcast feed on the Great Shot podcast. Uh, of course, we've had guests like Brett McCormick of Sports Business Journal, Mark Miles, the former ATP CEO. Alex Theodoritis Chris Hallioris Matt Stokowiak all of our favorite friends and more so be sure to like rate, subscribe, review to all of those podcasts this podcast the mini break the cracked interviews podcast the great shot podcast and if you're not yet, go check out our Inside Out podcast, folks. I promise you will enjoy Season 1, which looks at the best American male tennis players from throughout the Open Era. And we've got a lot of fun planned for that show because it is our, going to be our narrative-based channel, and we think we're going to be able to tell a lot of cool stories that you may not otherwise be as well aware of, so be on the lookout for all of those. And again, go check them out wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our YouTube channel, uh, Super Producer Daniel Westoff Just incredible videos, whether it's hit 1, our video series following Division 1 men's tennis player Alex Russian, you know, over-serve CR Classics, interviews that we do on video like the ones we have done recently with Monica Pui and Bethany Maddox Sands, uh, that and so much more all available on our YouTube channel you don't want to miss any of that content so just go hit that subscribe button already and of course all of our content can be found on our website crackedrackets.com, as I mentioned shout out as always to the super producers Max Flickner and Daniel Westhoff for the- of an any job they do day in day out making all of this content here at Cracked Rackets possible. Shout out to our friends at Midwest Sports. Go to midwestsports.com. Use that promo code CR15. Get 15% off all of your orders. Shout out as well to our friends at Aerobar, of course. Tomorrow on the mini break, we'll have another edition of Getting to the Point, our series with the uh, founders of Aerobar, Mark Aerosmith, Andrew Golub, uh, where we've talked thus far to Michael Russell and Jay Berger about the importance of nutrition and fitness in tennis. Another great guest lined up for tomorrow. If you want to get yourself on the right path tennis nutrition-wise, go to aerobar.com, order yourself, uh, order yourself up a case of Aerobars. Use that promo code CRACKED15 as well. To let them know that we sent you there. But with all that being said, for our wonderful guests, My Tennis HQ co founder Austin Rapp, our super producers Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff, our friends at both Midwest Sports and Aero Bar, and from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say, folks. That's the break, and we'll see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.